0: Every bad decision. Every mistake. Every compromise. All my best moments. My successes. My victories. The pain I've suffered. And the pain I've caused. These are all part of my story. But what if it all could be rewritten? Good morning, church. I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the lead teaching pastors here. If you have a smartphone, you have no doubt encountered the stupidity of autocorrect. <laughs> you feel my pain? Autocorrect is supposed to correct what you wrote, but it often corrects it incorrectly. I mean, some of the craziest things come out of autocorrect. Even though it's supposed to be a help, it often ends up sending you backwards. I submit the following examples as evidence. Let's read these together. You're Fred. Actually, this is Jennifer, Mr. Krasinski, your secretary. Oops, sorry, Jennifer, typo. It's okay. You're fired. That's cold. One little eye. How about this one? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dead husband. Happy birthday to you. Thanks. I assume you meant dear. Ah, uh, yes, I mean that crazy autocorrect. Sorry, babe. This one actually isn't autocorrect, but I just thought it was funny, especially for the Star Wars people. Hey, someone changed all the contact names on my phone, I'm trying to figure out who everyone is. Well, what's my contact name? Darth Vader, but who is this? Luke, I am your father. (laughs) 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 Haha, very funny, no really, who is this? No, it's your father, Luke. (laughs) I knew your name would entertain me one day, I love that one. Are you doing the nutcracker this year? Yes, I'm auctioning kids tomorrow. Suctioning kids. Ridiculous. Auto cat rectal. (laughs) Birdseed. I'm auditioning kids foreplay. I'm sorry I asked, all right? I'm sorry you experienced that. So as we continue our series rewritten, we're actually going to dive into an account where Jesus takes on satanic autocorrect. Okay? Follow me. This series has one overarching idea. God is rewriting my story, but in order for him to do that, I need to surrender the pen. This week, we're going to dive into the fact that Jesus is not the only one who wants your story. This week, we're going to tackle a lie that comes from that other supernatural side. This is a lie Satan wants you to believe. Satan wants you to believe that he is in charge of writing your story. He would say that. I'm in charge of writing your story. I want you to think that you are just a helpless pawn who's just stuck on a predictable trajectory of life and you're going to end up somewhere in in the landing place of every other human being, a landing place of failure, regret, and frustration. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. Let's jump into Scripture and watch Jesus under pressure, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written... Then the devil left him. The angels came and attended him. It's a story of temptation. Satan is tempting Jesus to buy into the fallacy that he's actually in charge of writing the story. Satan's tempting Jesus to embrace more of his humanity than his deity. And the truth is, Satan used exactly the same tactic with us. He wants you to embrace a part of your story. He wants you to get stuck with the idea that you are a broken, hopeless sinner with no hell, hope of ever being able to break outside of that cycle. And yet Jesus comes and says, no, that's not the story that I want you to connect yourself to. I see you differently. Jesus doesn't see you as a permanently broken fatalized sinner. He doesn't see you. He sees you as loved, pursued, adopted, forgiven, and shame free. In fact, if you read your Bible, Jesus has a different name for you all the way through scripture. Saint. Now, some of us are like, whoa, (laughs) easy on the saint title kind of freaks me out. I will remind you, it is written, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And the process of becoming a saint actually starts in resisting the temptation to take on the identity that the devil wants to assign to you. That's the work. So here's the truth. Seven have an honest moment. At times... I'm tempted to believe that I'm exactly who the devil says I am. I just am tempted. There's moments when I'm tempted to believe that there is no hope. I kind of approach life. It's like I tried, I failed, I tried again, I got the same result, so I'm just done. And we get caught in a cycle, and the enemy is so quick to condemn us, and he'll come along and he'll just say, look, you can't break the cycle. Your parents couldn't break the cycle. Your grandparents couldn't break the cycle. You're just stuck. I'll be honest, I'm tempted to believe that at times. I'm tempted to believe, to believe that God can't fix what I have broken. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but, but I have destroyed my life in so many ways. And I don't, I don't know about you. When I do destruction, I do it very well. Like, I destroy myself on a grand scale. I can't do much right, but destruction, that one I have got down. In fact, some of us are thinking about getting in the demolition business because we seem to know we've got this innate ability to be able to shred anything that seems to be good in our lives. In my hearts, I sometimes question. I question whether or not God can or even will or even wants to get his hands dirty with my pile of brokenness, because I've seen this to be true with humans. We think everybody else has a level of brokenness, but ours is in a category all by itself. I'm tempted to believe at times that I'm alone, that this is my pain to carry and nobody else really gets it. And the reason I'm alone is because somehow I slipped off of God's radar and he just forgot about me. You know, one of the most beautiful parts of the CTK blessing is when people simply realize they haven't been forgotten. That somebody noticed they were in pain and that their church actually paid attention. Sometimes I believe that belief is more important than any other kind of assistance. It's just a simple belief that they are known. Can I tell you something, church? I hope and pray you never, ever, ever have to access the CTK blessing. Because if you do have to access it, it means something has come into your life. It hits you sideways and you did not see it coming. I would not wish tragedy or crisis on anyone that I would consider to be a friend. But did you hear what Mariah said? So much of the hope came from just knowing they weren't alone. That somebody was with them in the midst of that pain. It wasn't just financial help. It was just communicating, you're not alone. You know, I'm tempted... I think like everybody else at times to believe that I'm alone. Finally, there are times when I'm tempted to believe that my, my story being rewritten, it's just an empty promise. For some of us, we have an experience, right? We, you know, God promised to rewrite my story, and I, I signed up. I did what I was supposed to do. I prayed a little prayer, and you know what happened? Nothing, nothing. So the promise is empty, and I'm tempted to believe that at times, that honestly... My life is just somehow coming apart. But but what's interesting to me is this. Every time that I'm tempted to believe that my story being rewritten is an empty promise, I look in my hand and you know what I see? I see a pen. And I realize once again, I've stolen the pen from God and I'm writing my own ending to the story. I'm tempted. I love Matthew chapter 4 because Jesus is tempted. He's in the wilderness, he's exhausted, he's hungry, he's weak, and Satan comes to tempt him. Basically says, Come on, Jesus, just relax. Grab a bite, switch teams, and we'll call it good. That's what this is all about. And he promises, he, I promise that following me is so much easier than following God because your father appears to be a cruel taskmaster. I mean, look at he's left you out here alone and you're starving. Just give me the pen, Jesus, and I'll write out how that I see this going down. Satan proposes three strategies. Feed yourself, take a flying leap, and worship me. That's all I'm asking. I mean, it's like he's a used car salesman, right? For just three easy payments of $19.99, you can sell your soul. But wait, there's more. Feed yourself, take a flying leap, and worship me. If you look closely in this scripture, in the temptation, Satan attempts to rewrite the truth. He attempts to make Jesus believe something that is not true. I listed them in their outline. Satan attempts to make Jesus believe God won't take care of you, so you need to take care of yourself. God's not feeding you, so I will. I'll feed your body, and then you can use yourself, your own power, to get things done. Because after all, Jesus, we know your strength is enough. So just help yourself, because we all know self-help is just so unbelievably helpful. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, Jesus. I mean, this is just simple. What's the underlying message that Satan is sending to Jesus? The lesson is God won't help you. You better help yourself. Here's another lie that he tries to tempt him with. God won't catch you when you free fall. The underlying message here, God can't be trusted. I mean, you're tripping, Jesus. You're following. You're stumbling because you're actually weak. Well, here's what you need to know You're going to hit the ground at terminal velocity. God's not going to catch you. He's not strong enough to catch you. He's actually lying. Don't trust your father. Trust me. Here's another lie. He attempts to get Jesus to believe God's replaceable, He's replaceable. I mean, why worship God alone when you have options? Now, here's the amazing thing. Every temptation that Satan puts towards Jesus, he's doing exactly the same thing to us. I mean, it's the same shtick. There's no creativity here at all. It's the same stuff. It's been that way for centuries. Because Satan shows up and basically says, if you worship me, there are perks and benefits. And he'll offer the same thing to you. He'll tell you, you know what? You can worship yourself and build an empire. It'll be amazing. You can worship a TV and live vicariously through the people that are on Shark Tank. You can worship a relationship and put your whole life into somebody else. Don't listen to God when he says, what is a prophet, a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? God doesn't mean that. He's bluffing. God's replaceable. In fact, let's do an interesting experiment. Let's open up your checkbook and your calendar and I'll show you where you've already replaced it. Ouch. Satan offers incentives, the same ones he offered to Jesus. The message is clear. Take a knee, and all of this can be yours. My friends, my brothers, and my sisters, can I just say this to you? Satan would love to rewrite those lies on your heart. He would love to. This is what I love about Matthew chapter 4. The Bible shows me an example of how to fight back. Jesus begins to fight back. I love that as Satan tries to convince Jesus that his story is being rewritten, I love the fact that Jesus responds with three powerful words. You're going to hear them a lot this morning. It is written. It is written. So he's going to show us how to fight back. So in those moments when I'm tempted to accept any of the lies that Satan is perpetrating against me, in those moments, I must respond like Jesus. It is written. Let's summarize this. Satan sees a weakness and he exploits it. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. That's a long time to go without food. That's a long time. He's in the Judean wilderness. If you ever come to Israel with me, and I hope that you will. In fact, 930, I'll tell you this. I, got, I literally have, I think, three spots left on the Israel trip this year. If you're interested, we're going to have a meeting after the last service. You can come along. But if you ever come with me, We will leave one morning from the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's lush. It's warm. It's gorgeous. The evenings are are cool. The days are warm. It's just beautiful. And then we're going to get you on a bus. We're going to load you up after breakfast. And we're going to drive about 20 minutes. And you're going to get out of the bus and go, what in the world just happened? You're going to be in the middle of the Judean wilderness. There is nothing there but wind and sand. It's barren. It's forlorn. You're going to stand at the bottom of the Mount of Temptation. This particular mountain that we're talking, you're going to stand there and you're going to go, this is horrible. You're going to step into this particular moment. Jesus is starving. And what's the offer? Satan comes. Use your power to take care of yourself. God's not going to take care of you. Come on, Jesus. It's easy. Stones to bread. What does Jesus say? It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I love this. Jesus says, I know exactly what you're doing and here's what you need to know. I am more hungry to please my heavenly Father than to please my stomach. My appetite for obedience to God is so much bigger than my earthly than my earthly hunger right now. Satan, here's what you need to know. I can eat in heaven. My Father has enough food to look after everyone for all of eternity. It is written, and I'm sure because Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos, I'm sure there were parts of scripture ripping through his mind that hadn't even been written on paper yet. Second Peter, it is written, says God has given us his great and precious promises. It is written, I will never leave you or forsake you. So God's not gone, he's right here right now. It is written. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It is written. Every word that comes out of my father's mouth, words of hope and correction and help, those words are life-giving to me. I live off of those words. I live on those words. So Jesus is basically saying, your offer is going to leave me hungry again, but God offers eternal sustenance. So why in the world would I settle for your words when I could have God's words? Why would I pick a hot dog when God is offering me filet mignon with hollandaise sauce? Why? What's the application? Jesus is saying, the promise of God sustains me. It gives me spiritual strength to believe it when God says, My grace is sufficient for you. It is written. It is written, and Satan, you can't rewrite the truth. Satan takes Jesus to the highest point on the temple. Let me show you a picture. One morning, we actually went to the temple. This is the original. And I went and stood right down there at the bottom of the fence, down there in the bottom corner, and I was looking up. I took this picture with my phone, looking straight up the corner to what was at that time the highest point on the side of the temple wall. I'm looking up, and I'll tell you something. It's a long way up, and it's a long way down. So just picture it, Jesus and Satan standing up on the top of that corner of the temple. And Satan says, come on, Jesus, just take a step. Show off. This is a really good time. Prove that God will catch you. In fact, here's what's interesting. Satan quotes the Bible. That should be a clue. Satan knows your Bible. Do you? Do you know enough to be able to say back to him, it is written. Do you have enough of the word so deeply embedded inside of you? This is fantastic. He actually quotes from Psalm 91. And Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan every single time there's a temptation. That's a clue, people. That's a clue as to how we're supposed to respond. I'm like, I'm a guy, right? Guys are tempted these days, pornography is everywhere. So we're all tempted, let's just be honest. We're all tempted to look at things that we're not supposed to look at. And so what do we try and do? Just use our own will to fight back against that temptation? Jesus says that's not the way to do it. You need to be able to quote, it is written. So when I'm tempted with that kind of stuff, it is written. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. It is written. Whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is noble. I'm supposed to think on those things. It is written, flee sexual immorality. Sometimes you gotta say it out loud in the authority of Jesus' name, because that's the only fitting response. I mean, if you ever want to know how insidious Satan is, I want you to understand this. He quotes from Psalm 91, a chapter in its correct context that promises believers that God will protect you from Satan. How insidious is that? And he just pulls out a little section... Puts a little twist on it. Satan rewrites Psalm 91 with a dare instead of an indictment on himself. And Jesus responds, I love this. It is written. Now think about who's talking to who. Jesus is speaking to Satan and this is what he says. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. We just established an authority order, didn't we? Satan, you think you're in charge of this whole drama? You have no idea. I am God. You are not. Don't you dare try and tempt me. You are subservient. You're way down the pecking order. You don't rank at all. So I'm just going to remind you, it is written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. You know what Jesus is saying in this moment? He's saying, I am Before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, I am. I am the Lord your God, even though you think you're in charge. You know what I love about that little statement, I am? Before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, it's all the way through Scripture. This is what I love about that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all messed up. And they got beautiful rewrites. You should read the last chapter of every single one of their lives. I mean, it is written. Jesus is saying, I am, I'm the God of the broken. I'm the God of the hurting. I'm the God of the ones who thought they had it all together and then found out that was not true. It's the application for us. The application is Satan is subject to the will of Jesus, not the other way around. Any test that comes against me will only strengthen my resolve to hold on to the one who truly holds my future. Satan's got one more offer. Takes Jesus to the peak of this unbelievably high mountain. And he makes an offer. Worship me and all of this can be yours. Okay, does anybody see how stupid that is? Satan's offering to Jesus what Jesus already owns. Like, Do we understand that? I'm going to tell you something. If you are a follower of Christ, the only thing Satan has to offer you already belongs to your heavenly father. So why would you take it from him when you've already got it from your heavenly dad? I mean, Satan offers me things all the time, possessions, power, and prestige, but the truth is, all of that stuff belongs to my heavenly father, and it is written as a quote-unquote saint that follows Jesus. It is written, I'm a co-heir with Christ, which means anything that belongs to Jesus also belongs to me. This whole thing, this, all this stuff, that belongs to my daddy. And if it belongs to my daddy, guess who gets it? I do. <laughs> That's good news. Can I tell you something? I'm a father. Even though my kids are older, you know what I love doing? I love giving good gifts to my kids. I like blessing them. I like surprising them. I like it when they don't see it coming. And you know what? And I don't even, honestly, don't even really need a thank you. I just like doing it. Why? Because I'm a dad. God says, all of this is yours. But Satan comes to tempt. And he tempts him with this statement. Come on, Jesus, just take a knee and cash in. And Jesus responds, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is making a bold statement here. I already have a team. And I'm in perfect relationship with that team. As the Son of God and God the Son, worship is complete for me. I'm in perfect relationship with my Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. So I don't need anything. You know what's interesting to me? Jesus doesn't answer Satan's temptation for himself. He answers it for us. Worship God and God alone. Why? Because it is written, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. What's the application? application is simple. I refuse to worship that which cannot save my soul. I won't take a knee to anyone other than Jesus. Even though the enemy comes and says, no, I've got a substitute for you, Grant. I've got a counterfeit for you, Grant. I refuse to buy into those offers because it is written, you shall have no other gods before me, I refuse to allow Satan to write a false narrative about the God who saved my soul. Now, don't miss the last verse of the account. Verse 11. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I want you to notice something there. When we respond with, It is written, the devil leaves. That's a good thing to know. When we know that, why? Truth and lies don't mix. Light and darkness don't go together. You prove it every time you turn on a light switch. I mean, has anyone ever turned on a light switch and watched the darkness win? Think about it. Take your time. Okay. I mean, I've never seen that happen. I've never turned on a light switch and have the have the darkness in the room go. I'm not going anywhere. I'm flexing. Watch me stay. Like that actually hurt. Um. (laughs) We should stretch before I preach. I mean, has anyone ever experienced that before? No, you turn a light on, what happens? Darkness. Gone. Why? Light is more powerful than darkness. I mean, can I get a bigger amen than that? Light is more powerful than darkness. I mean, it's just important, right? If, I, Jesus responds here. It is written. i got to ask you the question again. Do you know what's written? Because if you don't know what's written and you don't know how to respond, why are you surprised that the enemy is always hanging around trying to tempt you? That's why it's so important to get the word deep inside of our souls. Let's make this real. Satan only wants one response out of you with regards to Paris. Fear. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you to close your doors and draw your blinds and stay inside and stop living your life. He wants you to get all wrapped up in the what if this may happen or what if that may happen. That's exactly what he wants because he knows this. If he can paralyze you in fear, you will not move towards the God who's the answer to fear. I'm watching TV. I, I, I have several trips planned this year and I am tempted To get caught up in fear. But it is written. We are more than conquerors. It is written. There are more for us than against us. It is written. Neither height nor depth nor principalities nor power. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is written, perfect love casts out all fear. And Jesus is the greatest expression of perfect love. So if I am with him, why in the world would my response be to cave into fear as opposed to standing in a place and say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I will not respond in fear. It is written, God has not given us a spirit of timidity and of fear. Fear. I mean, that's what my Bible says. Do I believe it or not? Do I know how to respond? Is that the first thing that bubbles out of me? When everything is pressing in. Church, we've got to know our Bible. We've got to be able to speak back. It doesn't do any good when when the enemy is tempting us and we're just like, well, it... It's written, at least one time, like I wrote this life philosophy paper back in college, and, and it was all about the fact that I think I'm a pretty cool, self-actualized person, and therefore I'm going to press back into these things. And I think I'm going to submit that to the devil for his consideration and see whether or not he leaves me alone. It is written, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Why, knowing that, would you ever choose to cower in fear? I love the last verse because I think the details are important. The angels came and attended him. Can I ask a theologically deep question? Where do you think the angels came from? What do you think they brought with him to attend him? Everything Jesus needed. If you are a co-heir with Christ, do not you believe that that would be God's response for you as well. In your hour of need and temptation. You know, right now, God's rewriting stories. The story he wants to write, rewrite today is a story of trust and hope. Whatever you're dealing with, broken heart, broken life, broken dream, apathy, just getting stuck, whatever it happens to be, God is saying, I'd like to rewrite that last chapter of your story, and it doesn't end with a cliffhanger of fear. I mean, (laughs) we spent the entire summer going through the book. Can I remind you about the takeaway from Revelation? If you know Jesus, you win. That's the chapter God wants to write on your heart. The question is, do you know how to respond? With three words, say them with me. It is written. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning an opportunity to be back with my brothers and sisters. And Lord God, as we respond right now, as we stay in this moment with you, I thank you that you are here fortifying, encouraging, walking alongside. Lord, I pray for those of us who may have been caught in fear. God, may we be reminded of what is written. Lord, if we're searching for answers, I pray that we would know. You have written every answer we need for life and godliness. That's what Scripture says. So, Father, may we hold to these great and precious promises. May we follow the example of our Savior, and we are so thankful for what is written. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. All God's people say, "Amen." Amen. Amen. So here's.